Today we're going to talk about buying your future, buying the future. The only period you live in or I live in is now. Now is here all the time. Nobody lives in the past and nobody lives in the future. Everybody literally lives now. Now the past, there was a time it used to be now, but now it's just a memory. So to live in the past is to live in your memory. To live in the future is to live in your imagination of what could be. In fact, if you could erase your memory, you would never know you even lived in the past. You would only be aware of what you are experiencing today. So as we experience today, we have to imagine tomorrow so we can get tomorrow today. We can do that when we buy the future today. Genesis 25, Genesis 25, verse 20 through 26. I'm waiting for you to turn. Nobody uses pages anymore. Smartphones, iPads, tablets. Or those of you just have it memorized. Okay. Genesis 25, verse 20. And Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebekah, daughter of Bethuel, the Armenian from Padambaran, and sister of Laban, the Armenian. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. The Lord answered his prayer, and his wife Rebekah became pregnant. The babies jostled each other within her womb, and she said, Why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, Old girl, two nations are in your womb. Two people from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. And when the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment. I'm sorry, but that would get my attention. If I'm laying on that table or sitting on a delivery chair, I don't care what age you live in, I'm shocked at what this little alien is that just came out of my body, red and hairy. I mean, can we just talk? It's amazing how we just read the Bible and just read over that. I'd like to see some of you with your gynecologist say, dear God, did that's what just came out of me? So they named him Esau. After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel. They named him Jacob, which means heel grabber. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. That's for you old people out there. This guy's still producing his 60. Come on, wake up, Rip Van Winkle. Get off your Prozac and AARP and get a life. Take some supplements. Engage again, okay? I'm just reading the Bible. I'm sorry. Isaac was a son of Abraham, a son of covenant. And his destiny and purpose had been defined and determined by God before he was born. Almost all the sons of Abraham had barren wives. Because when the enemy identifies destiny in your life, he tries to close productivity and fruitfulness to you. That's why many times you say, I don't know why all this is happening to me. I haven't become anything. I haven't done anything. Ah, but the enemy always sees your future way before you do. So Isaac's wife was barren. Destiny was locked up between him and his wife. Generations are locked up and purpose is locked up. So Isaac prayed to God for a breakthrough for his wife. And scripture says God heard him and Rebekah conceived. 
And when Rebecca conceived, she had a major struggle within her. She couldn't understand why God would bless her with kids now, and that blessing would produce such conflict. So she went before God and said, why is there such conflict within me? And God told her there were two personalities, two mindsets within her, two different kinds of people, that their natures were different, and they weren't compatible with each other. God said the two boys represented two kinds of nations and two kinds of people. And one of the nations will be stronger than the other. One nation and people will serve the other. The older nation and the older people will serve the younger nation and younger people. Now, when the Bible talks about the older, it's what used to be, what was before. The younger speaks of now, the present, the contemporary. And God said the older will be subject to the younger. What came first will serve what is now. That's, I think for all of us, it's very easy to become comfortable with what used to be, with what came. Well, that's one of the songs we sang when I became a Christian 50 years ago, so we ought to be singing it now. Yeah, out of 40 people, and they're all old. Okay, stay with me. It gets worse. But God says, what comes later will be greater than what came first. In Haggai 2, verse 9, it says the glory of the present house will be greater than the glory of the former house. What is coming will be better than what was. Maybe you've gone through a divorce. Maybe it was horrific. And maybe you feel like, well, I've wasted all those years. And if you'll listen to the Holy Spirit, He'll say, look, sweetheart, if you'll drop a few pounds, do a little nip and tuck, the, the, the latter stage will be greater than the former. Uh, Christians are so boring, so boring, so predictable. I, I, that's why I didn't want this job. I want to be a fighter pilot, okay? So there's two nations here. There's a Jacob nation and Esau nations. There are, listen, there are Jacob people and there are Esau people. In every church, there are Jacob people and Esau people. In our secular world, there are Jacob nations and Esau nations. Remember Genesis 25, verse 27? says, the boys grew up. Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the fields, while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the field famished. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that chili. I'm famished. That's why he was called Edom. Jacob replied, first, sell me your birthright. Sell me your future. He said, look, I'm about to die. What good is a birthright to me? Just give me that chili now. But Jacob says, swear to me first. So he swore on oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and chili. He ate and drank, and then he got up and left. So Esau undervalued his birthright, his future, what could be. Couldn't see it right now, but it was out there. The Bible says Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field. Esau had skills, and he hunts. He goes out to get things done. He's a hard worker. Jacob is a refined man. He dwells not in the fields, but in secure places, in tents in that day. The Esau's of this world are skilled, they are hunters, and they dwell in the fields. The Jacob's of this world are people of cunning and wisdom. They dwell in secure tents. 
Then Esau the hunter who goes out to work comes back hungry. Jacob who did not go into the fields to work has food. Esau works hard and has no food. Jacob sits in the comfort of his tent. He's got food. So the Esau's of this world work hard but never have enough. The Jacob's of this world work smart and have abundance. So Esau came home worn out from working in the field. He's toiled. He's sweating. And he sees his brother who's sitting in the office and he's got food. Esau nations work hard but have little. The Jacob nations take what Esau nations produce and they process it and sell it back to Esau at a higher price. Hang on. In global economies, the Esau nations are called third world countries. They go to the fields. They work very hard. They produce. And when they produce, Jacob shows up and processes what Esau produces. So Esau comes to Jacob hungry. Jacob sells to him. The Esau's of life pride themselves in their strength. The Jacob's pride themselves in wisdom. Esau's work very hard, but don't have enough. Here's what the book of wisdom says, Proverbs 12, verse 27. The lazy man does not roast what he took in hunting, but diligence is man's precious possession. In other words, the one here called the lazy man is not somebody just sitting around laying on the couch doing nothing. He's hunting. He's hardworking. But he doesn't process what he hunted. Hunting speaks of acquiring the raw meat, in this case, or material. Roasting is to process that meat or raw material that you produced. So roasting adds value to your hunting. Roasting is the process by which you refine and develop and add value to what you have. And everybody has something. The Esau's of this world work hard, but never process or develop what they're capable of. The Jacob's take what Esau has, process it, sell it back at a higher price to him. How many third world nations are rich beyond words in natural resources? Unfortunately, their economics and economies are Esau-driven. They produce the raw material, gold, oil, diamonds, uranium, copper. Then they ship it to Europe where Jacob processes it and sells it back to them, which they had at a higher price. And many people have structured their lives the same way. They are skilled. They work hard. They hunt. But they only produce at a basic level raw materials. Then Jacob comes to refine it. See, the lazy man only produces, but he doesn't process what he produces. He doesn't add any value to what God's given him however small or large. So here's a good question, just for the mind. Are you only producing, or are you processing, adding value to what you produce? If you're only producing, you're an Esau. And Esau depends on Jacob for sustenance, although he produced the food or the raw material. So Esau comes to Jacob and says, give me the food that's ready to be eaten. I've come in from hunting. I've got food unprepared. I can't eat it. You've got prepared food. So sell it to me. So they negotiate. And when you negotiate on a hungry belly, you're in a weak situation. Because a hungry man only thinks about now. Jacob is not hungry. He's well fed. His present need is met. But he's thinking about the future. Esau's hungry, and he's only thinking, give it to me now. Don't ever negotiate when you're hungry. Don't negotiate 
when you're tired. Don't negotiate when you're mad. You'll always make a bad choice. So Jacob tells Esau, I can give you what you need today if you'll give me what I want for tomorrow. And Esau says, what do you need tomorrow? Jacob says, your birthright, the right to reverse the process of birth order so that I will be the firstborn and you'll be the second because the firstborn got a double portion. Sell me the future. Sell me what we will become in the future, not who we are today, but what we will become. Sell me destiny. Sell me purpose. Sell me fulfillment of the future. And notice, everything that Jacob is asking for cannot be seen or touched at the moment. It's all in the future. A hungry man doesn't care about what he cannot see. He's only concerned about what he can see and touch and use today. Esau didn't care about the future. He just wants food now. So the Esau's of life are only concerned about what satisfies them today. The Jacob's, on the other hand, are buying the future. That's why they will always be your supervisor or employer. And notice that God never rebuked Jacob. Jacob did not steal the birthright. He was a shrewd negotiator. He bought it, right? Yeah. According to the natural birth order, Jacob was second. But he valued being first. You don't have to die where you're born, folks. You don't have to accept how you came into the world, to whom you came into the world with, or what your current situation is at the moment. That's your choice. Yeah. So he valued being first, the firstborn. Even when Esau was born, Jacob had his hand on his foot. He was saying, look out, Esau. You know, I'm not going to remain where I am. And although you're ahead of me today, look out, Bubba, I'm coming. Yeah, I, I hope that's your attitude too. Jacobs of this world are not content to be second class. They want to keep pushing forward to a higher level, achieving their maximum potential. So Esau says, okay, okay, you can have the future. I can't eat it anyway. Take the birthright. And Jacob made him swear before the Lord he would not change this transaction. And in that moment, Jacob and Esau turned life around, though at the moment they couldn't see it. The Bible says that after Esau sold his birthright, he didn't even consider what had just taken place. It meant nothing to him. Now remember, there are Esau's and Jacob's that are unsaved, and there are born-again Jacob's and Esau's. Because we're not talking about race here. I'm talking about attitudes, ways of thinking, mindsets. And these two types of people are always in conflict. Jacob's are always aggressive for life. Esau's are passive about their, well, whatever will be, will be, whatever. I hate that. I am not going to let life be to me, whatever. Yeah. Well, it is what it is. Well, it is what it is now, but it ain't going to be what it is. I'm going to do something to change what it is. That's the attitude of a Jacob. So a Jacob goes out to the streets of America. He goes to the inner city. He sees an Esau who's strong, muscular, who can whip anybody. And Jacob says to him, hey, I can make something out of you. And Esau says, really? Okay, fine. And Jacob says, sign on the dotted line. And when you're hungry, you don't even read the contract. He has the skills, he goes for the hunt, and he can produce. Jacob's in the tent. He's going to process and market Esau's skill. 
So Esau becomes the heavyweight champion of the world. He beats everybody. But before he becomes a champion, he signed the deal. So he's a champion, a producer. But all the money, 75%, goes to Don King. (laughs) Or 51% goes to Colonel Don Parker for Elvis Presley. Don King and Colonel Parker, scoundrels they are, are Jacobs. See it? Now, then they'll take Jacob to court and say, you're a crook. And Jacob will tell the judge and the attorneys, check the signature on the contract. He signed it. When somebody sees in you more than you see in yourself, he can buy your future from you. When somebody, come on, when somebody believes in you more than you believe in yourself, he can buy your future. Colonel Sanders, whom I met personally, Kentucky Fried Chicken, refused to take stock in his own company. He was afraid of it. He only wanted cash. So he never got rich. Now he's well-to-do. But the people who became billionaires were the ones who saw the future and bought it and bought the stock in the company, and the rest is history. Make sure you're the greatest believer in yourself. If someone else sees more in you than you do, he can flatter you. I see greatness in you. You do? Yeah. You're going to be a star. Oh, you mean it? You think so? Yes. And I can help you get there. But Esau's hungry. No food on the table. So, for the little Jacob gives him, Esau says, take my life, my hands, my voice, my legs, my skill, my ability. Take everything in the past, the present, and the future. Just give me a few thousand dollars today. Not thinking about the future. Sam Phillips, Memphis, Tennessee, with Sun Records, sold Elvis Presley's contract to RCA for 35 grand. And then RCA made zillions. See? The Beach Boys' father, who was their manager, sold the rights to their songs in 1969 for $700,000, while forgetting they had the skill or talent to earn millions. Many third world countries have signed their future away to other countries. And many of these nations produce vast quantities of oil, copper, gold, diamonds. But they've been sold to the future. So they produce a lot, but they get very little. Even when the price goes up of the commodity they produce, they sold the future away cheap. And no price change benefits them because they fix the price in a deal that at the time looks pretty good. And then they pick it and demonstrate and start protesting, unfair, unfair. No, it's fair. You're an Esau. You couldn't see your future. That's not God's fault, and that's not unfair. Jacob will always buy it from you. Ray Kroc, 54 years old, from Chicago, just an old salesman, just making a living, drove into San Bernardino, California, and met the McDonald brothers. And this booming hamburger joint that was just incredible, packed, and profitable. You could, buy, you could buy a hamburger, a Coke, and French fries for 35 cents. That's part of the past. I'd like to come back. And, that, and it took 30 to 40 minutes to get your order. He reduced it to 30 seconds to get the burger. Okay. Ray Kroc sees it, and he sees the future, and he tries to get the McDonald brothers to franchise. No, they're not going to do it. They, don't, they just like a hamburger joint. So over a period of years, Ray Kroc finally got the money and bought each brother out for $1.4 million and went on to make billions. 
And if they had signed a contract for 1% of the business of McDonald's to the brothers, if they had signed, they didn't sign a contract, 1% would be $100 million a year to their heirs. They sold their future for $1.4 million. And a million dollars today is squat. That's like a hundred grand used to be back in my day. It doesn't it didn't get you very far. And about 50% of it goes to the government. So Ray brought the future. And God did not rebuke Jacob for his negotiation. Well, the time comes for the blessing. This is Genesis 27, the first four verses. When Isaac was old and his eyes grew dim that he couldn't see well, he called for Esau, the older son, and said to him, My son... Here I am, he answered. Isaac said, I am now an old man, and I don't know the day of my death. Now then, get your equipment, your quiver, your bow, your old technology, and go out to the field. Hunt some wild game for me. Prepare me the kind of tasty food I like, and bring it to me to eat, so that I may give you my blessing before I die. So, Isaac tells Esau, it's time for the blessing. And remember now, Isaac has no idea something has changed. He's still thinking Esau will get the blessing of the firstborn birthright. He has no idea the two boys have changed their destinies, and God has recognized the change. So Isaac is doing standard procedure. The firstborn receives the birthright, which is a double portion of the father. So Isaac calls for Esau and says, Esau, yes, sir, go to the field, get me some game, and prepare it for me so I can eat it and bless you. So Esau takes off out into the field. It's the same thing he's been doing for years. He's never changed his technology, never upgraded his methods. He uses the same traps, the same hunting ground, does everything the same old, same old, same old. He believes in his old technology and his old method. That's that's the church. Well, it worked 50 years ago. It was good enough then. It ought to be good enough now. Church, unbelievable. (laughs) Religious people, if they had a thought, it'd be beginner's luck. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm I'm sorry. In fact, when new things come out, Esau's are suspicious of new technique, new methods. Esau's are very comfortable with old things and old ways. In all of his life, Esau had never improved on his system of operation. He was doing the same thing over and over. You know, we're going to sing a 400-year-old song. We're going to wear hot choir robes. We're going to do it three hours and a half services to 40 people. It's old. It smells old. It looks old. It sounds old, except to the old people that are there. No change. The greatest curse is to remain the same. Remember not the former things, God says. Behold, I do a new thing. Paul writes in the New Testament, forgetting those things that are behind. So, Rebecca, think of the money we saved on uh, hymnals. (laughs) Because remember how hymnals, they'd be tore up pages with gum in them, or kids would write in the pages of the hymnals. Remember that? Yeah. That was another day, wasn't it? I remember that. So, Rebecca tells Jacob that his father has sent Esau to the field. And he doesn't know you and your brother have changed your destinies. It's time for you to receive the manifestation of that negotiation. So she tells Jacob, don't go out in the field. Go behind the house and get some goats. What Esau was going to look for in the field, Jacob had behind the tent. Now Esau had probably gathered the first goats they ever had from the field. But Jacob started breeding them, processing them behind the tent. 
Then he wouldn't have to run to the field every time he needed food and fight the same battle over and over again. So behind the tent were goats, and I can see Esau working hard, running with a spear, chasing goats, but not very efficiently. He's sincere, he's honest, and all the time Jacob sits quietly preparing the meal. No struggle, no running, because everything he needed, he had developed, he had processed. So he prepares the meal, takes it to dad. Isaac eats the meal, and he can't tell the difference between the goat in the field or the goat behind the tent. To Isaac, taste was the same. And folks, I'm I'm spinning over to the church. We get so used to old methods, we feel the new is not acceptable to God. People can get used to a pipe organ and choir robes and very slow hymns and hymn books and very quiet worship, and they think in their mind, well, that's the only way the anointing will come. That's the only way it will please God. But God, represented by Isaac, doesn't see any difference. The meal from behind the tent, just as good as the meal Esau's running and using extra time to get. Same thing. Jacob is always ahead of Esau because he develops, processes what he has around him. So he doesn't have to run as far to get it. Esau got the instruction first, but his methods are so primitive and crude and slow and backward, he wastes enormous time and comes in behind Jacob. It's not about how hard you work, it's how efficient you work. So Esau prepares the food and brings it to Isaac, and Isaac said, whoa, who came earlier? Somebody came and received the blessing. He did what you have done, Esau, faster and more efficiently, and he's ahead of you. Now Esau was filled with jealousy and rage, and he wanted to kill Jacob. And the Esau's of this life get frustrated with Jacob. He's too smart. He's too cunning. But God protects Jacob, takes him away, and increases his wealth. Now Jacob did not steal the birthright. God wouldn't have blessed him if he stole it. He bought it. He negotiated for it. There are people you work with or work for, and you may curse them, and God will look at you and say, hey, stop what you're doing. You're an Esau. Your boss might not be saved, but he's a Jacob. He thinks wiser than you. He acts more efficiently than you do, and you need to understand that your salvation won't protect you from stupidity, and no matter how saved you are, if you choose to be foolish, you're going to reap foolish consequences. When the Bible says the wealth of the wicked is laid up for the righteous, Don't think in terms of who's saved and who's not. Matthew 25, three men are given talents, a bag of gold. One got five, one got two, and the other got one. The one who received five multiplied it into ten. The one who received two multiplied it into four. And the guy who got one kept it. When the master returned and made each give an account of their stewardship, the man who received one talent gave it back. He didn't lose it, didn't invest it, didn't multiply it. And do you remember the rebuke he received from the Lord? You wicked, lazy servant. Wickedness in terms of the management of resources is not based on who's on drugs and who's not. It's based on who can handle the gifts, the talents, the abilities, and resources well that they have. If they handle it efficiently, they are not wicked. The person may not be saved, but they're not wicked in stewardship of what they have been given. God calls a wicked man one who keeps what he has and never reproduces. A righteous man is one who receives it and multiplies it. Now, I'm venting right now. This irks me. I I have a Christian-based ideology. I have a Christian-based faith. I have values and truth based on God's immutable, eternal word. Okay. But I admire people who take a risk 
invest the little they have, start in a garage, and become billionaires. Now, they may not be saved, but they're paying thousands of people their mortgage, car payments, school tuition for the kids. They're Jacobs. Jeff Bezos with Amazon. See, I may not like their moral, their value, or their ideology, or politics, or anything, but he did what you could have done. Elon Musk, you know, a South Africa boy, goes to Canada, immigrates with his family, then down to the States in college, and he and his roommates start PayPal. Anybody use PayPal? They became billionaires. And then all the Esau's throw, well, I think they make too much. Well, I just think, and, I, and the problem is you hadn't had a thought. That's why you broke in the Ten Commandments. He had the thought and did something about it. Now, he's not saved, but he's a Jacob. He's not wicked. You are if you're not reproducing what God gave you. Now, don't compare to other people, but am I reproducing? Am I multiplying what God put in my hand, whether it's one talent or five? That's the key. Are you just where you started? Are you still where you got dropped? That's what God calls wicked because they took resources from God and the righteous man multiplied it. The wicked, well, he just prayed about it. So your boss who's unsaved, maybe cusses, takes his gift, multiplies it, works hard, invests, expands the company, and employs you. And you come in and say, the wealth of the wicked is laid up for the righteous. (laughs) And God said, who are you calling wicked? The wicked one in this definition of stewardship is the one who does not multiply what he has. And that's why your wealth, your benefit, your future goes to somebody else. And all the time you thought he was the wicked one, you were the wicked one. So buy the future. The future's on sale. And those who buy it, get it before it happens because they pull the future into the present. I love that. When the future came, Esau got realization way too late that he had not prepared for the future. Jacob, prepared. You can choose to be an Esau or a Jacob. The promises of God are for Jacobs. You know, doing the same things in the same old way forever is not faithfulness. Keeping what you have is not faithfulness. God calls that wicked. Faithfulness is increasing. What would the world be like if everybody just kept what they had? Well, the world would come to an end. See, God produces. Man is supposed to reproduce. God has given man the power of reproduction in created things of God. When we stop reproducing, we cut short God's creative process. When a species goes extinct, God's not going to recreate it. That species will remain extinct forever. The species could not reproduce enough or survive in a different environment. Animals don't have the power to control their environment, but humans do. They can create their own environment so they can survive and thrive. But for the animal, if the environment changes, they go extinct. And may I pause and say, that's what happens to businesses and churches and marriages. Right now in our country, automobile dealers have low sales. They've had to change the way they do business. Come get your car, disinfect it, and bring it back to you. Well, that would have been nice if they'd been doing that before COVID. That's what you call customer service. But those that upgrade are, are having to feel, uh, and, and to go online, doctors are meeting with you on virtual computers instead of going into the office. Uh, retail stores uh, for the last couple of years have been in decline because people are shopping online. And big, big volume overhead retail stores are now having to shrink sales force and square footage. Many of them have declared chapter 11 and gone out of business because online shopping has taken over the country. 
And if you can't see that coming and you don't adapt, you're going out of business. And you can cuss everybody and governments and everybody you want to. But the truth is you didn't see the future coming. And, and a lot of people, a lot of my friends that own restaurants, they've had to adapt, carry out and take away and different ways to do business to stay in business. Yeah. Only the church, only the church, when it gets, when it starts something, that's what you call eternal life. They will never kill it ever. Even after it dies, they will not bury it. They just keep doing the same thing, the same old way, and then they just blame the devil. And that's why God isn't tolerant with us. If we don't multiply what we have, whatever you have received, you have a responsibility to multiply it. Jacob takes one goat from Esau, multiplies them in the backyard. Esau has no time for multiplication or reproduction. So you have to ask, am I an Esau? Am I a Jacob? Now, the good news is you can change. That's why Esau always fights Jacob, always jealous of him. Esau is jealous of Jacob's growth, jealous of his success. He calls his lighting and technology the devil, while he plods on the same old way, reproducing very little, if anything. Esau will say, why is that church growing? I'm working hard. I'm praying. I'm fasting for 40 days. I'm casting out demons. I'm blowing on people, and nothing's happening. And look at Jacob. Why, he's got a church that looks like a disco arena. Those screams and lights and smoke, that's not Christian. That's not God. We're working hard in the same old way, but no growth. And then Esau starts calling Jacob the devil. They've watered down the gospel. They don't preach hell hot enough. They don't preach uh, hard enough. They don't sing the old hymns of the faith. Of course, God said, sing a new song to me, but they don't read that. Folks, truth never changes. That's God's word. But style, methods, presentation, and technology in church, in businesses, in restaurants, whatever you do, has to change or you will become extinct. Don't make a practice of method or style and call it holy. The only thing holy is God's Word. Style, technology, platform, that's just secular. It isn't holy. Only God's Word is eternal truth and holy. When Handel composed the Hallelujah Chorus, they said in his day it was frivolous, too contemporary, unspiritual. So it wasn't even considered sacred in his day. But today when it's sung, our hearts melt. We tear up. Give me a tissue. It's God. See, Esau, always feel the old is anointed. If you'll just sing an old hymn, I'll feel the anointing. Probably not the anointing, just nostalgia. Just a memory of what used to be. So churches will sing some hymns for people who are now dead. Jesus said, why do you seek the living among the dead? Let's become Jacob's. Because God says the older will serve the younger. The past will be servant to the present. It's going to go by you like a Ferrari wide open if you don't seize the opportunities that you have. Don't become trapped in Esau thinking. Don't become fossilized in the past. Release yourself into the future. God has prepared our future for us, folks. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 9. Eyes have not seen, nor ears heard, nor has entered into the heart of man all that God has prepared for those who love him. And if you think what you've got now is all God has, you aren't thinking very big. Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all you ask or think. You need to ask bigger and you need to think bigger. Get out of that little cocoon. Get away from those people who minimize your dream. But we still have a choice in the future. We can ignore it, we can squander it, or we can partner with God to accomplish what he has for each of us. So as I close, question 
What's inside of you? Yeah, the reason you're not dead yet is you have unfulfilled potential in you that needs to come out. God hid a nation in Abraham. He hid the great-great-great-grandmother of King David in a prostitute named Rahab. God hid the greatest judge of Israel in a murderer named Moses. He hid the birth lineage of Messiah in a shepherd boy. God hid a king, Jesus, in the womb of an unknown peasant girl named Mary. Wonder what's in you. Don't sell or waste your future like Esau. Don't settle for status quo. Don't settle for mediocrity. A poet years ago wrote, I bargained with life for a penny, and life gave me no more. Though I begged in the evening, the lock was fixed on the door. For life is a just employer, and it gives whatever you ask. But once you set the wages, you have to bear the task. So I earned only a menial hire, later to learn dismayed, that any wage I would have asked of life, life would have gladly paid. Don't waste your life for a penny or a bowl of chili like Esau. If you don't expect much from life, you're not going to get much. If good enough is good enough, good enough is all you'll ever get. Your future is in today, folks, and much of your future is hidden in what you do today. So the best thing you can do for yourself, your kids, and your future is obey God today. If you wait for the future, it's too late. You can destroy your future or you can release it. God says, I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. No need to be hopeless. Wherever you are now, God has a plan for you. How much of that do you want released? For more information on Summit Christian Center, visit summitsa.com.